What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain MCT oil is absolutely a staple of any diet program that is focusing on the healthy fats that are going to give you energy and support a ketogenic diet lifestyle. Now, you don't have to go full keto where you're measuring your ketones, but anytime you put MCT oil in your body, you're accessing that fuel source that's going to give you that superior energy level along with all of the other food that you're eating. And so we developed a way to make this as easy as possible with our emulsified MCT oils. We put dope flavors in there and then it mixes instantly, just like cream does when you put it in coffee, where you don't have to blend it and use a blender, you can actually just stir it in. And we keep getting better at the flavors. And this flavor that we're coming out with now, the mocha flavor, is absolutely, hands down, one of the best we've ever done. We decided to partner with Black Rifle Coffee Company for this flavor, and it's badass. Just like Black Rifle Coffee, just like this MCT oil. If you've tried any of our MCT oil flavors, you're gonna love this one. If you never have, this is the place to start. It's our emulsified mocha MCT oil. An MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides, it comes from coconut oil. It's actually the best part of coconut oil for you. So I really encourage you guys to try it out. It's something that you can mix in your coffee, in your tea, in your smoothies, but it's particularly good in coffee, especially Black Rifle Coffee. So check it out, onit.com slash Aubrey. You guys are gonna fucking love it and let me know what you think. For those of you who have listened to my episodes with Paul Check, you realize that we don't really like to fuck around. We go into some of the deepest, heaviest waters we can find and just go straight there. In this episode, I had a very interesting question I wanted to pose to him because throughout my history of plant medicine journeys, I've had encounters with the force of resistance, that universal force, that part of the polarity that you could call the devil. So I wanted to understand from Paul, who's also been an experiential journeyman himself and a teacher to me, what his interpretation and what his understanding of the devil might look like. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. It's going to wiggle and writhe around in your mind, and I hope it does. That's what his podcasts always do, and I can't wait to hear the feedback at the end. Paul. Yes, baby. What's going on, brother? Happy to see you, and lovely to see you've healed so beautifully. Testament to your way of living. No doubt. No doubt. On the outside, and uh, inside's a little more complicated. It's not as linear as the outside healing, but yeah, that's, well, that's happening too. That's part of it. Because mm -hmm. you got to kind of break some of the stuff on the inside to heal it. That's the thing. So the breaks on the outside happen as an accident. The breaks on the inside, you kind of have to intentionally 
go into some places where you're going to get broken. Well, I think the inside and the outside marry each other, really. Yeah. If you break something on the outside, there's something going on on the inside. Yeah. That's usually the case. You're looking at it and feeling it, <laughs> and it's all on it's the inside. The yeah, I mean, you think back to most of the injuries. You had that thought, that premonition, that idea, that thing you were avoiding, the thing you weren't looking at, the little bit too much push, a little bit too much yang, not enough yin, and then the universe says, all right, why don't you take a seat on the bench? Almost all of my injuries were going as fast as I could possibly fucking go racing motocross or something like that and just you know trying to juggle the speed of now mm. and you find out that there's factors that you can't calculate and the next thing you know you wake up in an ambulance going oh wow i'm still alive that's cool <laughs> <laughs> pieces laying here and there <laughs> but we make it back together and learn from it you yes know, that's the, if, that's the if, thing. if we listen if we listen and engage it Otherwise, we don't make it back together. We just get fragmented, and, and that becomes part of our story. And God always sees the perfection in that, but sometimes people have a hard time. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. So what I wanted to chat with you about was, um, you know, in our first podcast, we talked about God. God, soul, <laughs> soul self, self, ego. I want to talk to you about what colloqui colloquially is called the devil the devil i love the devil <laughs> so i want to talk to you the about devil that, made me do it <laughs> about that force of resistance that we've anthropomorphized like we've anthropomorphized god we put mm -hmm. horns on him we put hooves on him we did all kinds of things to, yeah. the, to the devil and made him a, a creature but that force because i i feel like in a recent psychedelic journey i've, I've had my encounters yeah. but in a recent one i feel like i saw the true face of the devil but i wanted to chat with you about your experiences and your encounters with that dark force the force of resistance well you and i chatted about the devil briefly at my house we did i remember and i uh, you asked me what do you think evil is or the devil is i think you said was uh -huh. it the devil the devil and i said to you i'll tell you but you have to take responsibility <laughs> for it and you looked at me like don't be cocky <laughs> and i was being honest i said it's god's reflection and so you know the the problem with the devil is that if you study different cultures christianity is what made the devil uh the the concept of the the horns and the kind of the that that you've got to kill or destroy the enemy you know everything mm. that you don't like becomes the devil everything you're afraid of in yourself becomes the devil um but if you study other cultures uh such as the egyptian culture well the devil correlates to ra and that's the god of creation itself and the devil is also a symbol of freedom so what people don't realize you know first i'll go back and i'll quote carl jung jung said when christianity created jesus he cast a light so bright they had to create the devil to counterbalance him mm -hmm. and therein lies the problem with the devil in the west when you whenever you create a concept of good and you become righteous about it you automatically have to juxtapose that with its relative complementary opposite. So the goodest of the good, whatever you want to call that, Jesus, Christ, the Virgin Mary, uh, whatever a person's concept is, 
to the degree it's the goodest of the good, then the baddest of the bad has to be the devil. Yeah. And people <clears throat> label the devil anything that they don't like. But the devil really is inherently within each of us it's our shadow nature it's the parts of ourselves that we repress and that we deny but that we project onto others such as enemies and people that we don't like you know so a guy a good example of that is someone gets up in the morning um they get an email that pisses them off they walk out their wife's a few minutes behind putting breakfast on the table so they kick the dog oh fuck and they yell at their wife and kick the dog well there's the devil that's the parts of yourself that you don't want to deal with yourself so you project it on to the dog yeah and so the dog gets kicked by the devil but it's you it's it's really it's really the inherent nature of the two forces you know isaiah 45 7 in the bible says i create the light and the dark i create good and evil I, the Lord, do all these things. So you see the light and the dark, good and evil, are really just polarities, which in Taoism is I create the light yang and the dark yin. Good, the light, evil, the dark, because we're always afraid of what we can't control or what we can't, um, what we can't understand or make meaning out of so you know anything that people can't make meaning out of has a sort of a devilish kind of energy to the ego because the ego is a control fanatic mm -hmm. it's it likes to uh, pretend that it can control things but the 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 other thing is that you know if you look at this sort of uh, from a, a religious kind of viewpoint you know most of the world's religions uh, in some way imply that God is love. But if, if you go down to the kind of the level that most people in religion are at, which is a, you know, a lower structure stage of consciousness, so you get to fundamentalism and then you go beyond that to postmodernism, I mean, to, to modern, uh, the modern level of, uh, which is a marriage of multiple concepts of religion, the you'll you'll see if you study enough of that stuff that there's this real sort of inkling or undertone or suggestion that god wants our love right because he needs it because well, he's incomplete <laughs> well well you know there's a lot of justifications right. for that but if we if we work on that level of consciousness if god wants our love then just pretend for a minute that you were god if somebody told you that they loved you because they had no choice, would it have any meaning to you? No, it's control. It, it, well, not only it's 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 even beyond control because if we don't have the devil, we don't have free will. If we don't have the choice yeah. not to love, then love actually inherently loses its meaning. Yeah. As I shared earlier with you in a podcast, I define love as the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self and or other, when that other can be a person, place, or thing. But if we don't have the choice to love, then we won't let our energy flow and empathy to feel and compassion to understand. We would have no desire, the same 
basic capacity to have the option to love or not to love gives us the option to be empathetic and compassionate or not. So if we didn't have this choice not to do good or not to follow the rules of some religion or not to say I love you, we would be like a train on railroad tracks. That yeah, train just a, just doesn't a movie, have any a choice. Movie that was already recorded. It would yes, it's it's basically um, the annihilation of free will. So the paradox is is that without the devil as a uh, concept of choice to and what is evil? Evil really means to disconnect from the greater whole. It means like if we when we look at acts of evil, which are the you know the work of the devil, they're almost always something that some person or some group is trying to do to gain a sense of power or control for them at the exclusion of another group. Right. There's an old saying, the devil's favorite place to hide in the church is in the church. And if you look at all the religious wars, they're almost always about territorialism or some kind of need to control other people and to get them to conform to your own ideas. And every war, the opposite side is considered evil. So the 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 beauty of the devil is that it means that we literally can choose and the person that's aware spiritually is aware that i'm either making a choice that connects me to the people i love and to the places and the things that i love and therefore my sense of wholeness is getting greater and greater my sphere of conscious awareness is getting greater or I'm using power, force, coercion, and manipulation to gain some kind of power or some kind of control or in some way manipulate people that ultimately separates me from the connection to them because nobody likes to be deviled, right? Nobody likes to be tricked or manipulated or controlled. So ultimately, you can go a long way. And, you know, movies like Star Wars, for example, you have the dark force and the light force. You see, but... Ultimately, you go further and further into isolation. And if you look at the concept of light and dark, if you go further and further into the dark, then you're less and less conscious. That's why the unconscious is represented as the dark. The further you go into the light, the more conscious you are. But the more conscious you are, the more conscious you are also are of what you don't know. And those forces that might be controlling you. you yeah. know, and I think that's, that's a brilliant summary. And I'm, I'm glad I asked you that question because in my own exploration, it mirrors that very much i mean the understanding that god is everything god yeah. itself is everything and yeah. then as soon as you create the jesus polarity yeah which is all the good then the other force like you said i think that's brilliant has to be created to hold tension instantly and the tension is necessary for free will without tension without equal opposing forces you don't have free will you're coerced one one way or the other unless there's something holding that opposite polarity so that's why when hamilton souther introduced me to his concept of the devil and he's a ayahuasca shaman he said the devil was the one with so much love that he was willing to hold the polarity against christ for all of humankind and why yeah. so that we have agency so that we yeah. have the an agency that free will is actually the thing that as you said allows us to love yeah which is a a, a crazy concept now the other in, in in my first encounter with that 
I started to see the devil with appreciation and it showed up in this swirl of black cloud, chaotic black clouds. Mm-hmm. I started to see it with a sense of appreciation. Oh, wow, you're holding this polarity so that mm-hmm. we can have an actual game, so yeah. that we can have actual choice, so we can have actual escalation, so that we can be on the path to choose light, to choose love. But then I was, as I was putting my appreciation towards this force that came into the room in ceremony, uh, the message came really clear like, yeah, okay, appreciation's good, but the devil will still fuck you up. <laughs> like, like, don't get it twisted. He's not your friend. Yeah. His per- the purpose of that force is to fuck you up, is to challenge you, is to, is to hold that, you know, it will still play its role. Even though you can be grateful for its role, it'll still play its role out. And that role will bring you into your own spirals of darkness and delusion and these other things. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll continue on my, on my path, um, you know, and, and showing the different faces until I think I finally, finally really saw that final face. There's some things that you're sharing in there that I have a slightly different view mm-hmm. on. Um, first of all, everything we're talking about, we couldn't have a conversation about without mind, could we? True. Okay, so the Tai Chi symbol really represents the field of action in which the dialectic of mind takes place. By definition, a dialectic is a field of tensions. Einstein said the field is the sole governing agency of the particle, which means that whatever's manifesting is a product of those two complementary opposite forces that create mind itself, the do, the don't do, the should, the shouldn't, the up, the down, the on time, late, God, evil. So those two polarities actually just allow the tension uh, to manifest so that something can move and be perceptible within the field. You can't have a wave without something propelling it, right? So the devil in this sense is really just the opposite polarity of whatever we put on the other side of it. And mind Mm -hmm. has to have something to work with, but because mind... If you look at mind in biblical days and prior to that in alchemical days, mind, what we call mind, was actually referred to as logos, and the alchemists referred to it as logos cutter, because our mind cuts pieces of wholeness out, because if your mind didn't do that, then you would be in a state of perpetual oneness with God all the time, and there would be no capacity to love, because there would be no subject-object relationship. There would be no I-thou. But wouldn't you be love at that point, though? Well, you'd be unconditional love. Right. But by definition, there's no conditions there. So there you see the outer circle of the Tai Chi symbol emptied of anything. Mm. It's only... Radical presence, awareness, being love. Or prajna, just pure awareness, right? And I've been there many times. There is no self there. I need strong drugs to get there myself. Well, you know, it took me about... 13 or 14 years of Tai Chi to start having those experiences uh, without the use of psychedelics. But it was a very profound experience to get there. The, the, the point, though, is that that's unconditional love, and the paradox of, of, of unconditional love is everything and nothing is there at the same time. Mm. So if you are everything, then there is no Paul. I'd be like a toe on your foot, and you, you don't normally, you're left your big toe and your second toe don't normally have conversations together because they're all part of Aubrey. Yeah. And they're an expression of the oneness of you. 
So the, and that's the necessity of the ego. The ego is the one that differentiates, right? Like the it, ego part of the mind, if you want to use that definition, the ego says, no, no, I am not God. I am not everything. I am Paul and yeah. God, but I am Paul and Paul is separate. And then that allows you to have the tension to choose and, and to be a defined entity. Yes. Yourself. Yes. And so inherently with that sense of self, that individuality, that perceived subject-object duality, you can't have that duality without that field of tensions. And if you go to the very base of that field of tensions, there is the implicate yin, darkness, that which is enfolded in David Bohm's language, where the seed or the essence of all possibilities in the, in the mind of God, if you will, or God's potential are, exist in that darkness. But God's creative imagination is paradoxically looking into itself because there is nothing else for God to look into. So, you, you know, the, God is very, very tricky because we don't really have a language structure to talk about God because everything that we talk about requires a duality. If I say day, you automatically assume it's not night. If I say there's a black cat over there, you don't look for a white cat. So anytime we're using language, we're using symbols, and those symbols all differentiate themselves from any other symbol. Yeah, a symbol divide. Any word divides God. Exactly. So any language yeah. used about God, in other words, we can't really effectively define how God creates Aubrey versus Paul versus mom versus dad versus children, lovers, trees, cats, dogs, and planets and stars. That's why all the myths refer to it as a mystery or, or can only talk about God. And the word about means around, right? And so myths are really there to help us understand the un, the, that which cannot be understood. Myths are all describing powers or forces that couldn't be understood at the time that the myth was created. So you have Zeus, the god of lightning. Well, they didn't know what lightning was till fairly recently in the history of man, but they knew when it struck, shit went down. <laughs> Stuff catches on fire, explodes, and human beings' eyeballs pop out of their head, and they're fried to a crisp with millions of volts of electricity. But now we know that that's electricity. But imagine, you know, walking in the bush with one of your friends, and they get struck by a bolt of lightning. Well, it would be easy to think the devil had done that. You know, sure. there's your friend laying there dead, burnt to a crisp, and you'd think well, lightning must be evil. So before we had uh, more development of our intellect and our conscious mind, these forces were just inherent aspects of nature, and getting hit by lightning probably wouldn't have been much different than getting bit by a, a, a cobra and dying of poisonous uh, of a poisonous bite. And a shaman would have then looked for, you know, what did you do to deserve that? But sometimes it's not quite so simple, right? Yeah. But um, I think that there's a deeper way to look at the devil, not deeper, but a different way. If you study the shadow, the shadow really did not emerge until we started banding into tribes and then producing what we now call culture, because every tribe has its own, well, it has its own mythology, which includes the rights and wrongs of how you manage yourself in relationship to your tribe or how you engage any other people because tribal warfare has been is as old as we are. And, and there's, you know, like people get fascinated by rock stacks, as you know, and people stop in front of my yard all the time and take pictures and they're just, you know, they're captivated by these rocks. But if you study the history, 
of rock stacks, you find that rock stacks were what we used to use to mark our hunting grounds and our burial grounds. So thousands of years ago, if you were out traversing and you didn't even know where you're at, you came across a stack of rocks, it means you walk past that stack and you're going into somebody else's territory and there can be a cost to that. Or you might be going into a sacred burial ground and there's cost to that as well. Also, the rock stacks throughout antiquity have been surrounded by circles of stone. The, the vertical stack represents the phallus or the penis or the masculine energy, and the circle of stone represents the feminine yin receptive or the womb. So if you see rock stacks vertical with a circle around them, it's almost always a symbol and or an antenna to ingenerate what's called fecundity or the power of fertilization. So for for harvesting, then rock stacks in orchards and in gardens like that with circles around them actually generate polarity and nourish the soil and energize the soil. But a vertical stack represents territory. So what I'm saying is whenever we're enculturated, we come into a set of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. If you're in a Christian family, then you know this is what you got to do to get to heaven. This is what you got to do to not be a sinner. This is what you got to do to follow the rules of our church. If you're an American and you're standing in line at the grocery store and someone jumps in front of you, that triggers off quite an emotional reaction. You feel like someone's been disrespectful to you because in our culture, we have a concept that the first person in line gets to go next. But if you go to China, it's whoever can get there first. And if you are a little too slow, boom, it's too tough titties. If you're getting on a train, it's you better, it's, it's like a rugby scrum. Get in there now or you wait. Mm. So you see each enculturation comes with its own set of taboos and its own set of rights and its own set of um, beliefs. Yeah. In order to fit into any culture, we have to deny every part of ourselves that's instinctually or creatively different than what the consensus norm is in that culture. Like, for example, people as kind of wild as you and I are wouldn't have a hard time going to school naked just because we want to lay in the sun and we're tired of wearing clothes, but that could really cause lots of problems for mom and dad and me and you. But the reality of it is, right away in the Bible, the first thing that happens when Eve eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she realizes she's got no clothes on, right? <laughs> so right there, the enculturation began with the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. So, you know, one of the great authors on The Shadow is a union, Robert A. Johnson, and he really does a great job of explaining that the shadow, which is all the parts of ourselves that we have to deny in order to fit in and survive in that culture, which paradoxically, who are the great myth makers and change makers? The artists, the poets, the musicians, they're the, they're, and the mystics, right? And, and as Rumi said, no man can get to heaven, no man, no man can get to God until he becomes a heretic. What exactly does that mean? A heretic is somebody that goes against the, the, the religious doctrine right. or the enculturation. So the devil is everything that we have to repress, which turns out not to be just the parts of ourselves that other people think are bad, but it's any act of creativity that does not fit the consensus norm. Yeah. And I work with the greatest athletes in the world, and all of them are devilish. They're all outside of the box. I work with great musicians. I work with great artists. Um, you know, anybody 
like an Alex Gray. I'm telling you right now, all you got to do is take Alex Gray's best art to a Christian church, and it will cause a huge uproar. But you take that to Aubrey's house when you're having a gathering, and everybody will be standing there in awe going into a state of self-generated worship. So what's the devil in one camp is an expression of the divine in another camp. And you can see this if you go to Africa, well, they have ritual ceremonies where they cut a woman's clitoris out. And that's part of her initiation to being a woman. But in our culture, that would be something we would lock people up and put them in jail for and want to keep them off the streets. So, you know, every culture has its sort of ways of relating that are very, very disliked in, the, in opposing cultures. So what you see is that um, what is the devil for one man is a completely natural way of living for another. And there you set up the dichotomy or the dialectic or the polarity that makes shit happen. I agree with that, but I think that's, <clears throat> that's the perception of the devil rather than the true devil and the true God and the true, I mean, because I think in truth, cutting off a woman's clitoris mm -hmm. is inherently devilish to, under the true definition of that because it's creating a set of beliefs that ultimately deny someone's freedom to access pleasure. And really what I see when I see, when I look at these two forces, one is rich with freedom, like agency, choice, and the mm -hmm. other is control. And, and it's control in a certain ways that can be conscious, subconscious, cultural, and all of these different ways. And when I look at the divine, I look at, I look at those who are free, free to love, free to be, free to see everything as in, in the unicity that it naturally is. And then as soon as you start to cast judgment, that's where the devil comes in, cast preference, preference. And when I encountered the devil most recently, because I've encountered him as a him it's not a him but when i countered that force as a kind of force of rage and wrath typically all of that anger is a response that the ego has from identifying as self anyways and the ego saying that i am more important than everything else and something some slight has happened to me it's some lack of awareness and then rage comes and rage is like an aspect and it was like the world crusher that i saw it was an aspect of that force that could be identified with that in a true sense that anger of i'm going to hurt you now because i don't see you as me i see you as separate i see you as different i judge you such and then you receive my wrath so that's an aspect of it but what i really really came to see in this last thing is that it's really about freedom mm -hmm. and it's about control and where the devil really is is this you know, marionette, it's the puppeteer, it's the part that holds the strings, that pushes and pulls us and denies us our agency, our freedom, our yes. ability to choose. There, there's a few things you're sharing there. One, that whole perception is a judgment itself, is it not? It depends. It depends on if there's true, like true platonic things. I mean, you could say that, but I, I kind of believe that there's a fundamental, there's a fundamental truth that freedom is aligned with a certain polarity and control is aligned with a certain other polarity. Like one is in accord with the universal truth and the other is, they're both in accord with universals mm -hmm. rather than perceptual opinions. Well, let's go to the universal level then. Mm -hmm. um, how are stars created and how do stars die? That's a good question for an astronomer who's way smarter than me. Well, the point that I'm making is, is that uh, 
if you go with the black hole model, when a star dies, it collapses into itself, and then there's a massive explosion, such as a supernova, and then the black hole sucks the particles in from the dead star for millions of miles around, and it compresses it down to you know a density that is you know unimaginable, and then it explodes, and that becomes the birth of a new star. So mm. what I'm pointing out here is that the force of destruction is inherently part of creation, and a star like our sun is something that is relatively controlled. It, it it's gives us stable temperature. It has an orbit. It's consistent. But if you look around, a supernova is out of control, and it's extremely violent. And if one goes off too close to us, it'll be the end of us. So right there at the very, very fabric of creation on a grand scheme, the biggest scheme that we can conceive really is the universe or, or a multiverse. But what I'm saying is, if you track these forces of good and evil, control and freedom back, they all come down to the two inherent forces of yin and yang. And if you look at the Hindu concept of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the maintainer, and Shiva, the destroyer, that is the transformer, mm. There you see that the instant we start using concepts of control and freedom, we're right back into the polarities. You can't get past those concepts. And what the Africans do, removing a clitoris, for us is very offensive. But for them, and a lot of people think circumcision is very offensive, which is a Jewish concept, and all you got to do is put your opinion out about circumcision on uh, <laughs> Facebook and watch it blow up. Overnight, it'll just explode, and I've seen this happen on my own forums. So really, at the end of the day, we, in order to truly understand the devil, then you have to go beyond the concept of good and evil, and when you get to that place, there is no devil, and there is no good, and there is no bad, and there's no I, and there's no thou. Mm -hmm. So the reason I said that was a judgment is because the instant you start juxtaposing control and freedom and right and wrong or clitoris and no clitoris, you're already trapped in the field of judgment and field of mind and everybody justifies their position no matter what their position is from Donald Trump to Buddha, mm. right? And this is why when Buddha was asked many times to describe what God is, he just went silent because he there was nothing to say. It's just a finger pointing at the moon. You can't, yeah, you can't describe and, and it. Yeah, so the, the problem is those people keep staring at the finger, not the moon, and there you have just another symbol which confuses people. So the, 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 real, the issue of the devil is really an issue of mind because if you go into no mind, there is no devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there is, you know, I think I guess the state um I think I think you're right what you're pointing to is you're pointing to the universal truth that all is of or nothing is. Like when you're in that state of radical awareness, enlightenment if you will, whether it's temporary satori, temporary enlightenment or or capital E longer term enlightenment, you don't see the polarity anymore. You're beyond good and evil i think is, you see it that. because if you look at this extensive studies on consciousness which i've spent years studying you know if you call enlightenment a high state of consciousness then enlightenment is a, con a state of consciousness comes because you've transcended lower states of consciousness but you can't truly be enlightened unless you transcend and include in other words 
the only reason we can have empathy for other people is because we can see ourselves in them, right? Mm -hmm. when, when a 20-year-old gets put in jail for stealing cars or when um, spouses are screaming uh, profanity at each other and slapping each other around, I've lived through those experiences. I've had parents that are violent to each other. I've been in situations where a woman made me so mad I wanted to pick her up and throw her out the window, and it took every force of my strength to control myself, but my father wouldn't have. <laughs> he would have just tossed her. And so as we grow, starting from childhood, we're in a very archaic, primal state of consciousness where we don't differentiate ourselves from anything. That's why kids shit and piss all over everything. They think it's all them. Then we go up into a magical state where we think everything appears magically and you can take a toy and hide it from a kid right in front of them and the kid really thinks the toy disappeared because that's magical consciousness then we get to mythical where we start having rules and regulations and what our tribe does and how we believe the universe creates us our creation story and so now you're at mythical consciousness which is fundamental religion then you get to a higher level and you go to um, modern consciousness, which is where we actually start having our own mind, the, the mythical level is at the level of about a five-year-old that has, can't handle abstract concepts yet. And then we start to develop our mind, which Steiner calls the development of the, um, the uh, intellectual soul, where we begin having enough ideas to juxtapose one against the other, but we have to be able to know, you know, when someone says, I love you, that doesn't always mean they love you. Yeah. It's someone often, can give you the finger their, and say, I love you. Well, it's but, often their projection of who, who you are, their judgment of who you are that they're loving anyways, and your, your validation of whatever their ego wants that they're actually in love with. Well, what I'm pointing out, though, is different than that. What I'm pointing out is that that requires abstract consciousness, and you have to be able to differentiate something beyond the words which means you have to have some ability to understand poetry because someone's giving you the finger and saying, I love you. They're telling you two opposing things at the same time. So if you don't have the ability for abstract thought, which means you don't have enough knowledge of how language and symbols can be manipulated, then you don't have the ability to actually function at the level of mind. Then you go beyond that and you get to postmodernism and postmodernism is where everything cancels everything else out and if a person doesn't have a spiritual life then nothing is meaningful in the world god loves you but god will burn you in hell god loves you but you can die in the battlefield god loves you but there's people starving all over the world so a person in in that state of mind if they don't have the capacity or the inspiration to reach beyond the polarities for meaning, they get trapped in nihilism and life becomes meaningless and suicide becomes a reality right there. And once you go past postmodern, you get to integral. So to be an integral person and to have these kinds of conversations we're having, you can't take someone that's a kid and jump them to integral mm. because there will be no meaning there. There's no life experience. There will be no empathy and compassion because they haven't transitioned and transcended but included so when we reach what's called enlightenment we've transcended but we've lived through each of these levels of consciousness and integrated them into ourselves and that is the only way we can have empathy and compassion for other people so paradoxically as a guy who's had a long string of these types of experiences 
I'm able to look at a lot of people. When I saw your car accident, I saw myself after many motorcycle racing accidents and car accidents where I was bleeding and broken and wondered if I'd ever walk again or ride my bike again or be able to have sex and make love. So my level of empathy for you was enough to make me paint for you, mm -hmm. right? I, I like I I felt Aubrey's pain and confusion and frustration, and I could see all the balls juggling and and like okay, you know who am I right now and who am I going to be after this and all the things that happen in you because that's a great transitional state. But you see, so what I'm really saying is is that we we transcend and include. And when we're in a so-called enlightenment kind of consciousness, which is a very loose, poorly defined word in our culture, we now have carried all that life experience to us. But paradoxically, let's pretend that you get to the top of a mountain, we'll call that enlightenment. When you look down the mountain, you find that every evil thing that someone did to you or said to you or that your country did or whatever all was a necessary experience to get you to the point where you had enough experience on both sides of the fence and to, to actually realize how if those painful experiences hadn't have happened to you, you wouldn't have been pushed deeply into yourself to grow because right. if you were always in heaven, you'd have no urge to grow, which is why I quote Jung, who says no tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach to hell. Therefore, heaven and hell freedom and devil those two are both just different sides of the same coin and if you take one face off a coin it has no currency so i guess what what i was to to clarify what i was saying it's not that you don't see what you've learned through mm -hmm. the whole way it's just that you don't cast upon it the judgments that you once did right like because yes. you don't cast you don't look back and say oh that was good oh that was bad that was a blessing that was a curse you don't see things in that same polarity that you once saw it when you reached the state where you recognize that all things were necessary and all things are necessary to hold the polarity that allows us to have the free will that allows us to have the escalation and have growth because without that tension the growth would be coerced yes like if if there wasn't an equal balance we would just find ourselves drifting inevitably to this one place without any choice and without like any iron filings on a magnet exactly we would just be sucked to it and again that robs us of our agency that robs us of our choice and that again robs us of the whole point of this thing yeah is to create a system of such balance that we have choice so that when we look back we don't say oh this was good this was bad this was evil this was good we just we recognize what it was and understand at you know the way that we thought about it and the way that we could interpret it, but we don't cast our judgments upon it anymore. And I think that's a really good point that you make about control because there's a way that you can cast judgments upon control, not recognizing that those forces of control might've been the absolute minimum necessary amount of control for you to get sick of being controlled and then cast off the mechanisms mm -hmm. of control. And so that those were just blessings. Those were the gentle embrace of God, not the pangs and the fish hooks of the devil. They were the things to give you just the right amount of suffering till you said, I don't want this fucking suffering anymore. I don't right. want to go chase more money or more pretty things exactly. or more girls or more adulation or more worship or more power. I don't want it because i'm suffering and so i'm ready to release that into mm -hmm. the now the now of non-judgment and the now of awareness yeah and so all <laughs> again you get back to that point of unicity where you see everything 
as God holding tension so that we can have choice. That's true. And so I'm going to reiterate the transcend and include. I'd be willing to bet my home. It's a pretty home. Thanks. A big bet. I don't know uh, what I got. I got I got this cactus thing. Uh, <laughs> but I'd be willing to bet my home that if Jesus had a daughter or Buddha had a daughter or any of the people we call enlightened, and that girl came running through the door screaming and crying because she'd just been raped, that there would be a strong, powerful emotion that they'd have to really breathe through and work through to handle because we don't let go of our earlier ways of mm. relating. They're it just like enlightenment is the top floor of a building. And if you call evil the bottom floor, the top of the floor can't the top floor can't exist without the bottom floor. The difference is an enlightened person knows how to transform that pain, that anger, that frustration, that resent, and that sense of separation in them, but there will definitely be a process. And if you look at the research on enlightened people, and you can look at the book Streams of Wisdom by Dustin DePerna, which is a very, very powerful book, looking into many studies of enlightened people, and they found that uh, on average, the so-called enlightened masters, consciousness was centered in the third chakra, which is about me. And so their enlightenment, actually, though they had a level of enlightenment, their enlightenment was often used to manipulate other people and get them to do what they wanted them to do. So enlightenment is is a, a much trickier concept because you can be an enlightened pilot but be very uh, poor at getting along with people. You can be Steve Jobs and be an enlightened inventor but be very lousy at relationships. You can be an enlightened lover but very unenlightened with how you manage the flow of energy such as finances in your life so we don't really have that many people in the world i don't know of any but the dalai lama would probably be the one that's the most polymath in his enlightenment because he's very scientific he's very social he's very good at customs he's very good at managing people um he he's not got a rigid diet philosophy even though he's a buddhist and a lot of people think he's a vegetarian he's not i know that for a fact um so really all i'm saying is is that the the guy raping jesus's daughter or buddha's daughter is a metaphor for something evil but that still has to be uh, worked with in an enlightened person and it mm -hmm. still will challenge them it'll no. still take their conscious connection to god to deal with that reality and and, and it'll, it'll be the ultimate test and i think that's yeah. why in the bible they have one saying that's to follow my way this is what jesus is saying my way the way of the way of unconditional love let's say if you wanted to describe christ consciousness that would be probably yeah. the closest way to follow my way you have to hate your mother hate your father hate your brother hate your sister hate your daughter hate your son like hate hate your family and what they're saying by that is that the specialness that you attach to them, because yeah. as soon as you attach some specialness, you're ultimately going to be out of this unconditional love. The person that you know and care and is more special to you is going to be different than the person who's doing that. So the raper is going to be less special to you than your daughter, Yes. in which case you're not seeing from God's eyes who sees all as all as same. And, but that, but to get to that point, I don't even know if it's fucking possible for human beings. I mean, I can't hypothesize that. That's just kind of an ideal. But I mean, for to be that enlightened 
and be in a body? I mean, wow. It's very tough, but you also have to remember when Jesus was getting nailed to the cross, he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm. So even somebody we think was as enlightened as Jesus actually had a period of doubting that God was there to support and him. He was crying the night before, if you read the accounts as well, you know, yeah. crying and praying and, and wondering what was what was happening. And I think those are the the humanizing of Jesus, because we've we've put him in this mythical idealization. Well, all and, of it's myth. Yeah. And Every so bit the humanizing it. though actually is a much is much more valuable. Like if people would talk about Jesus like having sex and like eating steaks and laughing with his friend or mm -hmm. whatever, whatever yeah. he wanted to do or what whatever he actually did. We'd have a lot less wars. We yeah, we would. And we'd also have a lot we'd have a lot more of similarity that we could see. So mm -hmm. we, everybody wears these, what would Jesus do bracelets? I don't fucking know. He's not even a person. No. Like the way that we describe him is not as a person. We describe yeah. him as the very blistering edge of one side of polarity yeah. that probably no human being has or can ever achieve. So what would Jesus do? I don't know. It doesn't make any fucking sense. He wasn't a person, not the way that he's been described. No, and, and, and you know, Deepak Chopra wrote the book, The Third Jesus, and I think Deepak Chopra did the most beautiful job of really telling Christians what it means to be a Christian and saying, look, if you really want to be a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. So now start doing it. You know, go do it. Quit talking about it. Go do it. I mean, he politely made it very clear that what most people call Christianity is not even close to what Jesus taught and said Jesus is probably one of the most radical reformers that ever came to this planet, and that the way he was suggesting people live is such an advanced way to relate in the human life that most of us, because our shadows and our unconscious won't let us grab a hold of something that's that expansive, and to love thy enemy as thyself. Just try doing that one for a day. And remember that anything going through your mind that is denigrating or untruthful or, or um, destructive to you or other is something that has to be transformed, right? In other words, it's not just how you behave towards other people. I've worked with a lot of women that have breast cancer, and I'll tell you the number one thing that happens, and almost all of them have Christian upbringings where they were taught that you have to give of yourself, give of yourself, and be like Jesus. But what happens is a person like that who spends so much time giving of themselves to others at the expense of their own ability to be with themselves, love themselves, nurture themselves, feed themselves, exercise, do the things that they need to do to have something to give to someone else begins to resent the people they love and they push that down in their shadow because resenting your mm -hmm. husband and your kids can be very painful and it manifests itself as breast cancer and then they have to look very, very carefully because what you'll find is the chemotherapy and the radiation and all that stuff might temporarily get rid of a tumor or, or cancer, but it doesn't really get rid of the... Um, conscious or unconscious seeds that it's manifesting cancer as a symbol of an embodiment of what's being contained on the inside. So the, 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 the whole concept of loving thy enemy and uh, do unto others is, is, I've told people a million times, if they just took everything out of the Bible and put nothing in there but the golden rule, 
and listed that for a thousand pages. By the time we really got finished reading a thousand pages of that and paying attention to the challenge that that one thing gives us, we probably would be able to do it and would be enlightened and we would have people actually doing it. So the, you know, the polarity of all this is easy to label and it's easy to say should, shouldn't, good guy, bad guy, but you you mentioned earlier that that you you were talk you you said something like that's a perception, but I think we're not really getting to the real God or the real devil or something. But really, at the end of the day, everything's a perception. Mm. Without perception, there's no experience. In fact, there's no sense of space or time. You can't have meaning without perception. You can't have relationship without perception. You can't have anything without perception, because. Perception is the vehicle that consciousness uses to perceive. If it's pure consciousness, then you're yeah. just back to God. But conscious of requires perception. And perception is basically hinged to this concept of awareness because your level of awareness determines how perceptive you are. And how accurate you are with that. And I think it's also it's important to, to go back to your story of those um, you know, who are giving you might think that you're giving and it's purely an act of giving, but you might be blind and you might not be aware of what you're receiving. Because if you have a structure, a moral structure that says giving equals good, yes. then as you're giving, you're receiving your own moral cookies, yeah. feeding yourself saying, I'm being good, I'm being good, I'm being good. And yeah. you're not actually aware. You might think that you're being altruistic, but really that altruism is feeding your moral hierarchy, which is feeding yourself with your own self-love, which is in itself the devil that I was describing, a system of control where you're not aware that you've been told that giving of yourself is good. So you're giving of yourself because you think it's good, but you're not actually aware that what you're doing is really just serving yourself and serving your own moral hierarchy, that's moral, which is saying that giving is good. That's moral brownie points. Yeah. Right. So what happens is, especially when you have a polarized religion like Christianity, Islam, or Judaism, the Abrahamic religions are heavily polarized compared to Buddhism, Taoism, and and religions for adults, as Osho would call them, is that there's so much fear of burning in hell and so much fear of sinning that people as children are conditioned into the concept, if you give, 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 and do good, good, good for others— then what it means is you're less likely to burn in hell. So there's this little tally going on in the back of your mm -hmm. head. So the mother gets quite shocked when she ends up with breast cancer and ends up with a therapist like me saying, look, you're breaking a cardinal rule of love. If you don't love yourself first, you're writing rubber love checks to everybody else. You're pretending to love them and you're actually denigrating yourself while you're trying to love somebody else, which is like being a vegetarian saying they're against animal cruelty so they don't eat meat. Yet meanwhile, their body's breaking down, their hormonal system's collapsing and they're not feeling well. And I say to them when they're sitting right in front of me, you realize you're practicing animal cruelty of the highest kind. <laughs> because you're the only animal that can change the planet for the better. Cows can't vote, chickens can't vote, pigs can't vote, dot, 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 dot. So if your body needs a little animal flesh, instead of killing it, how about worshiping it and realizing that when you eat that, the spirit of that animal is alive in you and your life is being sustained. And so now you can thank that animal spirit 
and invite it to live with you so that you can work to make the world a better place for all living beings now and in the future. And trust me, if you could talk to the spirit of the cow, it would offer up plenty of cows if it knew you were going to use its energy and its vitality and resources to actually make the life of all cows better. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Right? So all I'm showing you is the games people play in their head and isms and cults and religions. Really, a religion is just a giant freaking cult at the end of the day. So um, I don't really... I mean... <sighs> All of these concepts are slippery because you can look at them from many, many different ways. And I've had many of the similar conversations with the devil because, and so did Carl Jung, by the, by the way, if you read the Red Book, there is a mind-blowing conversation that he recorded between him and the devil. And it's, if they made a movie out of it, would it be badass? <laughs> but really, because we can't have consciousness without these polarities. So yeah. whatever it is that we don't like or that we deny is shelved as the devil and everything that we like is shelved as something good. And, you know, stubbing your toe could be considered an act of evil, but for some it would mean, God damn it, I didn't see that the curb was elevated there. You know, having somebody in your family get shot by a drive-by shooting would certainly seem very, very evil. But if you were elevated enough you might be able to um, transform that through a deeper level of understanding. But for most of us, to be able to reach that level of empathy, compassion, to lose your own flesh and blood to a seemingly senseless act and stay in that place of being centered in love and centered in understanding and compassion, it takes someone like the Dalai Lama who watched over a million of his people get slaughtered and still can look you in the eye and honestly say he holds no resent. That's why I think people like the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, you know, it's nice to see Eckhart Tolle getting airtime because finally somebody's getting enough airtime to really create a conscious shift in human beings. Sure. Um, you know, you 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 you, uh, you have a quite an outreach but compared to donald trump big difference of course the the point being is is if we were to give the dalai lama donald trump's airtime the influence on our culture would go in the other direction because i'm just using donald trump as a symbol of one who wants to build walls isolate people and has an itchy finger for the red button whenever anyone comes along that he doesn't like or gets in the way of his global politics or whatever the hell he's yeah, got well, going he's, on. He's definitely one who does not see. Right. You know, and again, cast judgments all the time. Yes. Right? You know, he's not seeing from that universal perspective. But that's his influence on us right. uh, as, a that, as a populace. And then we can thank him because that allows us to see a see mirror. Shadow. See a mirror into our own shadow. Exactly. Absolutely. See a mirror into our own shadow. And I think the challenge with, and I agree with you about the Dalai Lama, but the challenge is, is that wearing those robes and being the Dalai Lama and being so far different than us. Yeah. Most people would just cast that aside and say, okay, that's Dalai Lama. Just like we're casting aside, okay, well, that was Jesus, whatever. He's not really a person. He didn't have sex. He didn't shit out of his own asshole. You know, he wasn't like a real, real, real person, like a yeah. person you could hug and share a smoke with and hang with and laugh with and well, we don't know. play with. We don't know. But yeah. for most of us, that would be the, that would be the, 
the idea that we had. So I think the, the important thing is, is that everybody, wherever you are and wherever they are, that we realize that we're a bridge. We're a bridge just a little bit, maybe one step closer to awareness. And us being that bridge is really important because someone who sees you and sees a lot of themselves in you, whoever you are. Yeah. And if you can just advance their knowing just a little bit. That's what I tell all my students. Like that's incredibly valuable because someone holding that far into the polarity, only a a very small amount of highly perceptive, highly aware people will actually be able to follow that path. But a lot of people can follow that path of someone just one step ahead of them. You know, one little, one deviation. Uh, I I agree uh, with you. for sure, but I also think that the Dalai Lama, as an example, just to keep that concept going, um, he would be very comfortable showing us our shadow because he's already processed his. Mm. And you can sh- you can teach somebody about something that you've engaged fully, but you can't do anything but play games with people when you haven't engaged the part of you that you're teaching fully, which is part of the reasons that we have so much problems with religion because... There's very few enlightened people teaching in Sunday schools where kids' minds are the most open and, and they're most exposed to these dangers. But if if you know if we looked at that uh, possibility, then I think being different might be helpful. But to go to your previous point, I say to my students because a lot of them keep taking course after course after course, and I'm like, here you are in, in my most advanced class for holistic lifestyle coaching. You haven't coached anybody yet. Why? Well, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not good enough. What do you mean you're not good enough? Well, look at me. I'm still carrying too much weight. Okay, how, how much did you used to weigh before you started down this journey? Well, I used to weigh 340 pounds. How much do you weigh now? I weigh 240. Okay, you've lost 100 pounds. Okay, great. How many people in the world weigh more than you right now? A lot. How many people in the world could use an authentic teacher who's already lost 100 pounds using a holistic natural approach. A lot. So you're not going to get better intellectualizing because you can't get better at sex reading books about it. You can't get better at loving reading books about it. You have to go out and practice it. So ultimately what you're saying is, is that there is a rainbow bridge between all of us. And really, as Osho says, if you're going to lock people up, then you have to lock their parents up because they're the ones that programmed them. And then if you're going to have to lock them up, you got to lock their grandparents up. So he says, if you really play the game, honestly, every one of us would be in jail. So at the end of the day, you have to have empathy and compassion for the fact that we're all here as a process. We're all here as a, yeah. an experience that cannot be separate from the universe itself. And the universe can't be separate from God. And the fact of the matter is, if without going to deep into a God conversation, the reality of it is God is the sum and the source of all that is. So God's always here and God's always in it. And God is the devil because there wasn't, there isn't two gods. So everything that we call the devil is an expression of the divine itself. So if you want to be enlightened, then all you got to do is spend a few days trying to figure out where the beauty is and everything that's ugly from war and torture and that will keep you occupied for a while. And you it's know? And, and some of the exercises is, and psychedelics do a, a beautiful job of that because you'll start to see, as you grow in awareness, you'll start to see these images that would be typically very scary. So mm-hmm. imagine, you know, we have these beautiful Nopal cactuses out in Sedona and they're yeah. the, the big paddle cactuses. And when they're alive, they're 
green and vibrant and they have spines and they'll shoot up little prickly pears and sometimes flowers on the pears and beautiful but also when they're dying that intricate web of decay as mm -hmm. it's going and all of the ways if you really look at that with awareness is equally as beautiful yes like the creation and the destruction are equally as beautiful it's all two sides yeah. of the same coin of god but it's harder when there's the pain and compassion of human beings involved to actually look at that it just becomes more challenging but i think from that ultimate perspective you can see that all is part of the process all is part of the the universal god it's just which step of awareness are you willing to take can you look at the nopal paddle the cactus paddle beautiful as living and beautiful as dead you know all right well that's step one and then can you look at human beings thriving or in pain step two you know yes and then advance advance your awareness that way. There's two things that are coming to my mind as I'm listening to you share. One is Steiner said it's okay to kill something as long as you're going to do something better with it. So, for example, if you want to build a house, you got to clear some land. Well, that land might be the home that deers and squirrels and a myriad of other creatures lived on. The next thing you know, you're out there with a chainsaw. Then you're out there with a bulldozer. And you have just removed the lives of countless beings so you can build your house. If you can use your life in service to the world to make the world a better place, and this is a subjective valuation, but he's making a good point. The point is, is if you're really conscious, if you're going to kill something, but for example, if you're going to clear a bunch of trees and take the homes of a myriad of creatures to build another pay parking lot, well, we don't need more pay parking lots. But if you're going to build a, 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 a Waldorf school to educate children so they can go out into the world and be real contributors, safely it's safe to assume that the animals as i mentioned earlier would accommodate that because anything we do has a bigger effect on them than anything they do on us per se i mean animals uh, uh, cats and dogs don't light houses on fire and they don't pick fights with each other and they don't have the cops call uh, get called but humans do humans throw cigarette butts out the window and light forest fires and wipe out thousands and thousands of homes and homes for everyone, including humans and animals and insects and everything else. So there, there, there's that. Um, the other thing is, is that I think that as we grow into this understanding of God and, and, having been down the pipe many times and spent countless hours in meditation discussing this with my soul, which is really God within, and and asking deep questions, you know, the reality of it is, is that um, God is so incredibly whole and so brave and so honest that because God is the source and sum of all that is, ultimately everything that's here is God coming to know itself. And God cannot know itself without experience. And consciousness has three requisites to exist, which are space, time, and movement. You have to have a relationship which requires space and time, and you have to have movement, or there's no way we could know we had the relationship because movement and time are linked together. And actions and beliefs and behaviors also express themselves in the flow of time. So the reality of it is, is that because people 
for most people, God's just an idea. It isn't an experience they've really had yet. You understand what I mean? Of course. But when you experience God, you realize that God is so unadulterated, brave, and committed to experiencing itself that God is as committed to its darkness as it is to its light. And if God wasn't willing to become the devil, then God would be deceiving God. Mm-hmm. And there you would have a problem because that means God's inherently lying to itself, which means we're all screwed. And which we can, we can put into our own lives and recognize that any part of our shadow that we don't acknowledge is something we need to look into. Is something into. we need to look into. Or we're not you know, practicing religion. If we think, religion. oh, this criminal is so different than me, this person, this extremist, this leftist, this right is so different, so different, so different. Let's look a little deeper into ourselves. Because religion really means religio, to link to or to bind together. So in Christianity, we have the split or the fall, the fall from the grace of heaven. So to the degree that we think we're a sinner, or we've done this or we've done that, or whatever judgment we have, there's a split that emerges in us. There's, there's a part of us that can't love itself, so it has to repress that into the unconscious, and there's the shadow. But the real act of religion is the binding together of the dark and the light to create that which is whole. And in, in Christianity, they have a very beautiful concept called the mandorla, and the mandorla is different than a mandala. Mandala is a diagram, as you know, done inside of a circle. But a mandorla is a circle that is drawn, and then another circle drawn partially overlapping it so that you have that almond-shaped center in the middle. And the healing practice of the mandorla is that on the left side, you identify, symbolize, and honor everything that is seemingly against you or against your philosophy or evil or dark or your enemy. So you might put a gun in there as a symbol. So say we had a mandorla the size of this table and say the four black squares would be right in the middle, the almond shaped. The left would be the negative polarity. So you'd put a symbol for everything that you're trying to heal in yourself or or that you're denying or that you don't like about yourself or other people. And on the right, you could put a symbol for everyone that inspires you, who if you emulated, you would become more of what your heart calls you to be. So for some, that would you would be in their circle. For some, I might be in their first circle. For many, Jesus would be in there, or Lao Tzu, or Buddha, or Krishna, dot, dot, dot. For some, we'd be in the circle with the gun, probably. <laughs> well, but that's okay, too, because it's all God, right? Yeah. But... So then what you do is you look into that very deeply. You acknowledge that darkness and you look into the light and you acknowledge the light. And what I teach my students to do is when you look into the gun, don't just look at it as a force of death. As Ask yourself, if you were alone in the woods and you were hungry, would you rather have a gun or a rock? I'll take the gun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what you'll find is if you look at everything that's being labeled as bad or evil, and you flip the coin on it, which is what an enlightened person would do, you will see that the polarity, everything that is a tool of injustice has a capacity for justice. Everything that's a tool of evil has a capacity for good. Then you go over here and you say, okay, what would it like if I had to, if I chose to emulate Paul Check or Aubrey Marcus for the next year of my life? Well, one, you'd be very different than most people. You'd get attacked a lot. 
A lot of people would have judgments about you. Your parents would probably freak out. And, and my point is, you will find if you do an honest exploration, there are challenges walking either of those paths. And not one is any easier than the other because remember, Jesus' own people killed him and many great saviors have been killed. If you read the book, The World's 16 Crucified Saviors by Kersey Graves, he shows you 16 saviors have been crucified, four have risen from the dead, and Jesus was the only one that got a lot of press. The point I'm making is it's very clear if you study the history, people like Giordano Bruno and many of the Christians used to burn anyone that didn't agree with them that was a heretic. It's a miracle that Rumi didn't get chopped to pieces. Walking that path is no walk in the park. Walking that path is no walking the park. So the mandorla practice is to honor both and then empty yourself of needing to make a choice about either of them, but holding the intention of what it is that you need the support and love of God for, and bringing your consciousness into the middle space, because that space is not positive or negative. It's not good or bad. That is where you get to God in its state before it's manifesting as this or as that. Yeah. Pre, That's the zero pre, point. Pre-judgment. That's beyond judgment. That's mm -hmm. pure awareness. Good and, evil. and by holding your heart open, and instead of saying, this guy's a fucking asshole, and this guy's the savior, because there's lots of things written about saviors that, from a different perspective, isn't nice. For example, Osho goes at great length about how Gandhi wasn't a cool guy. But most people don't have those perspectives until you sit and listen to someone like Osho do that. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is the real healing practice for all of us is not to deny the dark stuff and not to just fall in love with some guru over here because you could be drinking Kool-Aid before you know it with Jim Jones, but to get in the middle and practice after giving each of them their due diligence and saying, now I open myself to what rises with the intention to love or the intention to be the best husband I can be or the best leader I can be or with the intention to use my life to bring harmony to the world. And when I sit in that space, that's where I learn what evil is and isn't. That's where I learn what mm -hmm. love is. That's where I learn uh, where I can change the way I relate to my wives or my children. And that's where I learn a lot. But if you sit on either side of that, you're equally likely to get deceived because to join that camp means you have to deny something over here yeah to join that one means you deny something over here so that magical god space it's in that middle and one way to one way to think about it as i was hearing you talk you know anything that you would ask of god if you say god are you happy are you love are you divine are you evil are you a criminal are you a yes. savior the answer is yes the answer is the yes. answer is always yes and us as our individuated god selves the answer is still yes it is if yes. anybody asks paul or aubrey are you a criminal are you a savior are you a depressed are you happy are you angry are you jealous are you bought yes yes like, yeah. in truth we are all of these things expressed yeah. but really we have the ability to choose how we manifest and what we want to put out in the world we're all we're all these things but we have our choice over our actions as you become more conscious it. as you become more conscious and yeah. you're not doing things out of subconscious unconscious yeah. cultural programming free, free will is a conscious deal yeah you know you know not everyone has free will the person who is indoctrinated 
the soldier that goes off to war, marching on, marching uh, onward, Christian soldiers marching off to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. It means you're not conscious of what Jesus represents, or he, you wouldn't even be carrying that in front of a bunch of soldiers on the way to war. Yeah. So there you see um, control bot behavior. You know. Um, I've had some painful discussions with various Navy SEALs and people like that. And when I say, you know, doesn't it bother you to go kill somebody when you don't even know if it's really true? You've just been fed a bunch of information by a government. And I've looked into a lot of these things. And and so the point that I, to jump forward is that's my job. Hmm. That's a cop out, Right. Yeah. That's like saying it's your job to, to go kill somebody because uh, somebody with higher rank told you you want them killed. But what do you do if you kill them and find out they were actually the one that was telling the truth, right? So the 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 point is, I'm using something we all know, a Navy SEAL or a Delta Force or an elite soldier, and I have some experience in this area. But the reality of it is, is that until you actually have conscious awareness of both sides and you can put the two halves of a story together you don't have free will you're just a a control bot you're just a pawn in someone else's chess game so children are actually unconscious of their capacity to free will until they go through puberty differentiate and decide this part of mom and dad works for me but this religious stuff or this way of managing money or mom and dad are alcoholics but they hate pot and pot's way better now you're developing real free will because you're conscious of what alcohol did in your family. You're conscious of how mom and dad live. And you're also conscious of how different you feel when you live differently. And now that you can juxtapose two possibilities against each other and choose based on your own experience, you're cultivating free will. And to take this back to the um, female genital mutilation, yeah, you know, if you look back at that, actually the women, the young girls they want to have this process if you ask them and this and defenders of this practice they want to have this process uh done to them because that makes them a woman so they've been they're enculturated they've been culturated with this indoctrination of yeah. this will make me a woman this is my rite of passage so i want this yeah. which isn't really a free will choice it's indoctrination. it's indoctrination they're a control bot to this because they're not realizing like oh wow i could have a life of, with a clitoris and really enjoy it and be a woman too yes and i don't need to do this yeah. or i could choose to do this either yeah. way you know and nobody's gonna you know throw stones at them whichever way they decide at that point yeah, yeah if you want to cut your own clitoris off fucking go for it but if you're being indoctrinated into it yeah then that's some bullshit and and so that's why some of us who have broader viewpoints feel the pain because we're looking at it potentially from a non-program state. We've because right. we've some of us have climbed out of these religious dogmas and belief systems and guilt and shame, and you know the long list of shit that comes with all that. So really, the wiser people look at that and have empathy for the fact that we know that that might be to remove. Well, to, to to it's it's removing a source of tremendous pleasure for male and female, yeah. right? And to remove that unconsciously is like taking somebody's heart out unconsciously, yeah. right? It changes their life forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know? So the part of us that's lived through some of this programming and the darkness associated with it and cult-like behaviors and, and you know, tribal enculturations with these types of ceremonies, it's painful for us to watch it because we want to jump in there and say, hey, wait a minute, let's look at a couple of different mm. options here. Yeah. But, but, you, but that's how you get yourself killed because they're, they're, the instant you say that to somebody that's programmed, you're already, you know, and look, religion's done this beautiful. Christian, Christianity turned anything that gave people the power to create what they wanted and do what they wanted and find their own way evil. It's evil to use dousing. To, like dousing is the way we find water in nature. But the Christian priest took that away from people. Mm -hmm. Any act of divining or dousing is considered evil. Why? Because the the priests and the church wanted complete control over people so they mm -hmm. could control when they harvested, where well, they built. they wanted built. to be the intermediary between people and God, yes. which is a ridiculous thing right. to create an intermediary between a person and God because a person is God. So there you see programming. Yeah. And there you see a, a belief that, oh, if... look. Like when I tell people I do the tarot, many of my students with Christian upbringing, they get scared to look, even some of my clients, right? Well, it's so funny because sometimes I'll be doing the tarot and I'll pull the devil card, right? And I leave them on my desk because it's my reminder of, of how to manage myself that day. And so if someone comes into my office as a new client and I forgot that the devil card's up and they look over at my desk and get a funny look on their face, which has happened a few times. They like, I've even seen people start to sweat. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm paying this guy all this money to coach me and he worships the devil. <laughs> but the thing that I'm pointing out is like, I've tried to have, I've had countless students in class where I'm trying to show them how you can use a pendulum to analyze someone's chakra system, something very basic. I don't need to use a pendulum. You know, I graduated from that long ago, but that's divining and that's evil, right? So you see the level of unconscious indoctrination and paradoxically, I am labeled as evil by a lot of these people, but I'm, and I'm and a cult leader and everything else. And I say, well, you know, if you really look at that very carefully, I'm teaching people to be responsible for the choices they make, care for the planet, care for themselves, love themselves effectively so they can love other people, spend their time doing what fills their heart with love, not just working for money and instead of working for love. Because if you just work for money, all you do is make money all day. But if you work for love, you might make less money, but you're making love all day. Mm. And that's sustainable. That is. But making money all day and becoming successful well, I'll tell you what happens. You wake up one day at the top of the ladder and realize it's against the wrong fucking wall. <laughs> so now I've got a big house and a big car and I'm working for a drug company and all of a sudden I hung out with Paul and Aubrey for a day and realized there was a thousand things in nature that would do the same thing a lot better. And now my heart fell out the bottom, but I'm too far down the road to change because how am I going to make millions of dollars a year uh, teaching people how yeah. to uh, find water in nature or, will, the validation or and then... making quilts or, yeah. Yeah. you know, so there you go. And, and so at the end of the day, like Aubrey, I know you well enough to know, can it get more fucking magical than it is? Uh, I mean, can it get more wild and crazy and magical than it is? even with all the death and the destruction. And I mean, we start talking about the future risks of artificial intelligence and robotics and, you know, we could go on a long rampage in every fucking direction you go. It looks wild, crazy and scary. But at the end of the day, 
I, my students complain to me about how shitty and how fucked up the world is, and I've challenged many of them. Okay, good. Here's a piece of chalk. There's the board. Go write the plans for a better world. And in seconds, I can completely dismantle their, their <laughs> dream. This is... This is, this is heaven. If we this is the it. most fucking wild, crazy, ultimate place that we know of. And, right, we have telescopes that reach a long ways, and so far we haven't found anything like this shiny blue pearl. And here you can make love and you can make evil. You can have morals, which are codes of conduct that are life affirmative, or you can have ethics that have no consideration for whether it's moral or not. It's e ethics. There's soldiers' manuals that are ethical. There's company manuals that are ethical. But right here in this place is the wildest mix of possibilities and the greatest opportunity for growth that we know of anywhere. And the bottom line is, without evil, it would be flat. It would be the most boring place in the universe. No doubt. Video game without monsters. And am I, am I pro-evil? Not at all. But I'm a realist. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a realist in knowing that evil produces pain and isolation. And the most painful thing you can do is put a human being in isolation. So at the end of the day, you can get as evil as you want, you can get as rich as you want, and get as powerful as you want, but you find your ladders on the wrong fucking wall because you're all alone with your gold. And as Jesus says in the Bible, a rich man can no sooner get to heaven than a camel can get through the eye of a needle because what goes with you has nothing to do with monetary gain or control over people. The only thing that leaves with you is what you've become. And if what you've become is a progressively greater whole that recognizes and realizes itself in and as the universe or in and as an expression of the divine, then dying is exciting. But if like, you've climbed it's like up... The, off, it's like taking off a tight shoe, as Ram Dass says. <laughs> if you climb up the wrong wall, then you have to hope like hell when you die that love isn't real because the realization of what you've created unconsciously can be so painful that it's... Uh, very tough a review. Awakening. It's a it's a it's a it's a rude awakening into God. That doesn't mean God loves you less because you are God. It just means that ultimately when you find out the real law behind the universe's love and you spent your whole life going in the wrong direction, it's kind of like you were trying to get to Disneyland and then you ended up in Tijuana and went, what the fuck? <laughs> Which is Disneyland for some. <laughs> well, yeah. I fucking love you. I love Thanks you too, for buddy. coming by, brother. Thank you for sharing. And, and uh, I, I was wondering what in the world were we going to talk about? But I said, you know, I know, I know Aubrey. So far, he's batting 100%. <laughs> And it, it just so happens that you chose one of my favorite topics, so thank you. Well, it wasn't really my choice. I had an encounter and had to talk, had to, talk to Uncle Paul about it. Well, good, and, and uh, I hope our next encounter is just as exciting. I'm going to be interviewing you soon, so I'm we're going to... Looking gonna, forward to that. Yeah, I'm, Living I'm 4D is your new new podcast. Yeah, and it's rocking, man. It's rocking, and, and uh, I've just finished a series. Uh, the, uh, today, I think it uh, came out. I did a series called Evolve Yourself 2019. So the first podcast was Evolve Yourself Physically. The second is Evolve Yourself Emotionally. The third is Evolve Yourself Mentally. The fourth is Evolve Yourself Spiritually. And Evolve Your Career just launched today. And then I'll be having an Instagram live on uh, Saturday or uh, coming up soon. To, and I do an Instagram live the following Saturday to answer questions for people that are studying the podcast. 
and we've had massive turns. My Evolve Yourself Physically set the download record for all my podcasts so far, Amazing, which was mind-blowing. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to be on. I'll be on there with Kyle. We're going to get Yeah, ready. no. Yeah, I'm, I always love talking to you and, and uh, dancing with you, babe, because this is... No doubt. It's fun to... It's fun to relate to people that have had their heart ripped open. <laughs> <laughs> it was a blessing all along. Yeah. See? It was a blessing all along. Uh, Thank you so much, people. I love you all so much. Love you, Paul. Love you, love too. you everybody else here. Oh, great Peace. spirit. Thanks for tuning in with me and Paul Check. He's one of my favorite humans on the planet. He's got a great podcast called Living 4D. Definitely check that out. He's got a whole school of teaching and thought. He's one of those people that's a great mentor, not only for your physical body, but your mental body, your emotional body, and your spiritual body. So make sure you check out his work. And of course, leave a review, leave a comment, check out aubreymarcus.com, sign up for my newsletter, all the things, all the time. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Much love. I'll record commercials if...